This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm the Paul thing. Hi, <laughs> I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Evan. And we're going to talk about the father thing. Uh, first published in Fantasy and Science Fiction, December 1954. A Philip K. Dick short story. Also adapted into an episode of uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams or Electric Dreams. Um, another episode. <laughs> um, did you guys see the uh, the student version? The nine-minute student film adaptation? Videotape no, adaptation? I did not see that. I tweeted uh, it last night. Yeah. Much more faithful to the story, despite the fact that uh, there's no food on the plates that they're talking about food, and the fact that uh, <laughs> the the house is super messy. <laughs> you know, like, why, student well, student film one. Yes, it's re- but it's it only takes nine minutes to do most of the story. It has dialogue straight from the from the the story. Um, I I want to like these adaptations but I find almost nothing redeeming about them at all and and, and there's nothing really really this terribly was set wrong. in America uh, yeah and filmed in America for a change which help I think the helps. first one right yeah yeah it, I think it helps somehow I mean it's very suburbia yeah. right it felt like suburbia in the film in the ad- yeah it was like the it was in the right place backyards it, and yeah, there's I, a per- I just never read this story as like a true kind of alien invasion. No, me, it was always it's it just always- like kids playing because I did we did the same kind of stuff when I was kids. Sure, I mean, and, uh, my generation. It is an alien invasion, but it's an in- invasion of the neighborhood. It's an invasion of the of the yard, right? And and yeah. having it a bug in the backyard, kids kill bugs. We it's actually telegraphed in the story. When he's uncovering the bucket uh, full of old newspapers and magazines, right, pulp magazines, um, mm-hmm. it, it, spider falls to the ground out of it, and he steps on it, right? That's something yeah. that you know they wouldn't. I don't think was in. Yeah, it wasn't in the adaptation. Um, that was just you know the casual violence towards bugs <laughs> is mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, why they've got a BB gun? Right, this is boys being uh, boys when there's no video games. Yeah. Yeah, like I, but, but I can see all the internet. Uh, and then and the adaptation. Yeah, and the adaptation they have the internet, so they they yeah. really don't go out to play anymore. So they they need but, a real threat to get them out. I always hear that a lot, and but I I feel like I disagree that that is really a thing. Like I think kids still love to play outside even when they have the internet it just after a certain age uh, i think that they i mean this is a curious age right it's it's in mm. the story it's eight he's eight and then the black kid is nine he says eight or nine and then there's the older kid who beat him up a couple of times right uh peretti who's yeah. uh, i think <laughs> 11 so this is a curious age it's not it's not the age of uh high school um, it's not the age of, uh, you know, being still tucked in your house with mom, but 
to me, the most artificial thing uh, about the adaptation was the obsession with baseball. And I understand why they want to have that so that they have the father-son bonding, right, at the beginning. Yeah. But they actually have the beginning of the story about 20 or 20 minutes or so into the into the film, right? Before their camp, uh, after their camping trip, right, where they get to be bonded and, you know, throw trivia about 1970 baseball teams. Like, I don't believe any kid today. That's so an old-fashioned thing, right? The kids, I mean, yeah. baseball? We're memorized baseball? Well, well, Jesse, I'm going to argue with this. Okay. With this, because even in this modern age, at that sort of age, kids find something they want to go a deep dive on and they go into it. I mean, I agree. for lots of kids, it was things like dinosaurs. I agree. I, I mean, for this kid, it's obviously baseball because, but his dad I likes mean, baseball. Even, because, because his dad likes baseball and he, he likes baseball. Well, I, you know, I'm not so sure about that. I, th- I think in some ways, I mean, given some of the dialogue in the show, now we're talking about the show, not the, not the story, the, Dad likes baseball because the kid likes baseball. And he's the playing dad, softball or is, no? It's baseball, right? He's playing baseball. Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 I think the dad's love of baseball is actually tied to his child more than actually the dad's actual love of the game itself. That's at least mm-hmm. the vibe I got out of this show. That's like the kid that likes baseball because the kid does. It's always followed himself, followed him down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. As a way to try to keep his son, because he and his wife are are splitting apart. Yeah. So again, why is that added to the story, other than just to make it longer? Because that is not evident in the story at all, right? Why is that added to the adaptation? Oh, yeah, is it just yeah, to make it longer? Because he says, "I'm going to be like maybe I'll move into the garage right at the beginning." That's our hint that they're having relationship problems. Mm-hmm. Um. But I just think spending time in the garage is what guys do. You know, they're out in the garage mm-hmm. fixing things up. I mean, uh, uh, it's so wonderfully done in the short story with the the threat of the shears. They'll cut your hands right off. Right? Wow. <laughs> that that sort of line is the kind of thing that me- is magnified in your memory um, when your dad says something casually, right? As a kid. But everything's new to you. And your dad says, watch those shears. They'll cut your hands right off. And you'll be haunted by that for like months <laughs> and years. And, and it's like, god damn, I don't know. I don't want to go even in the garage now. Right? But he's just literally trying to, you know, say, watch out for those shears. So that, that whole perception of, you know, mom's in the kitchen. That's her space. Dad's in the garage. That's uh his space and then you know the mom says go out to the garage and tell your father to come into dinner and then it's brilliant the opening of the story and what they've done in the adaptation is you know give greg kinnear a lot more screen time when it shouldn't really be about greg kinnear he's a great actor he does a good job he 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 looks stunningly to me like like um stephen king you guys notice that yeah, with the glasses. Oh, yeah. With, uh, but also, I thought the same thing, actually. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it was almost like they were trying to make it a Stephen King story, because it is a very Stephen King story, Stand By it Me and really It. Like, and I thought they were probably emulating, like, Stranger Things. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, that's, but yeah. that's 
that's like two two generations from Stephen King. Right? Yeah, but uh, like Stranger Things is trying to be Stephen King. Right. Yeah. Well, but yeah, Stranger Things is is doing Stephen Stephen King stuff with E.T. and all of the those. Those 80s kids movies where uh, I think somebody even compared it to Goonies, which I don't yeah, think is quite yeah, fair because yeah. it's not, you know, that's a much more epic s- version of it. And that's got a lot of comedy, which this doesn't. Um, yeah, I feel like it was really um, yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers is the one I kept on thinking of. Well, yeah. Actually, that, that's a way better version of it. Yeah. And in fact, um, as uh, David pointed out before we started the podcast, uh, David, of the... Uh, Dickheads, a Philip K. Dick uh, podcast. Um, he pointed out that uh, it's a full year before uh, this story came out a full year before Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. I think there is oh, actually yeah. a shorter version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but it's <laughs> still, they're almost contemporaneous. So this is really a very interesting 1950s feeling embodied in a story. Cold yeah. War paranoia, By the way, communism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I realized I just did the wrong thing because we were talking to David and I said Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I meant Invaders from Mars. Was the one I was ah, Invaders from Mars. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, yeah, so that's yeah. another one that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the one I feel like is kind of the same story almost, but, well, it is basically the same mm-hmm. story, but way better done than Electric Dreams. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of in the DNA. I mean, you could push this all the way back if you want to, I guess, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This, mm. this horror comes from being like two people at once. Yeah, yep. This, absolutely, and that goes way back into that whole genre. I, I think um, I remember reading it wasn't for this story, but uh, in the notes for another, um, Philip K. Dick talking about his dad. He doesn't talk a lot about his dad or his mom actually in most of his stuff, but um, his dad had some World War One memorabilia. Like I guess his dad was in World War One or was intru- mm-hmm. into World War One, and he had a gas mask that was from World War One, and apparently that freaked him out. Like, <laughs> w- when he put it on, you know, it's his father, but hidden behind a mask. And and then his parents being divorced in a period where divorce was, you know, not, not at all very common, and more importantly, something of shame. The fact that he... He moves away across the country, away from his dad, and every five years he sees him, and he's not like the memory of his his father. Um, it's freaky. It is freaky, and he is tapping into something very real. I had a uh, my dad died when I was like uh, same age as this kid almost in the story, and I had dreams of him. no, he wasn't really dead, right? And he'd come back, and he'd somehow be uh indiana jones because they both had leather jackets you know <laughs> it's like what so uh, i then like uh, when i started reading science fiction i had a, a dream that's almost the father thing before the father thing and it was uh i was on a beach and uh this thing washed up on the beach um it was kind of like half a half a squid and half a uh, jellyfish and it formed itself into the shape of my father and then um, uh, there was a cable or uh, a tentacle or something that connected it to something deep in the water and it says yes I ate your father 
but it's okay, Jesse, yeah. because I have all of his memories and I have all the love that he had for you. And I said, but you're not my father anymore. <laughs> and he says, yes, but I can detach from this and then I can be your father. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> when I woke up from that dream, I was really sad because I wanted that to be true. And this is, I mean, literally a patricidal story, right? He kills his father. Yeah. And the horror of him seeing his father dead in that barrel is unimaginably powerful in the story. And I wanted mm. it to be that powerful in the adaptation, but I felt like the music was too manipulative. Um, and, and I felt too much uh, about, like, I'm thinking about Greg Kinnear's screen time all, all the time instead of thinking about the kid. Yeah. And the kid was okay. But he he wasn't like the emotional powerhouse of the sh the horror. They they did everything sort of technically right. He's sitting on the he moves his place setting to the farther end of the table and he sits on his chair because he's he's forced to sit at the table. But he sits on the edge of the chair, farthest away from his father as he can. Yeah. But it, I I think it's I mean as usual it's best on the page. And it's just fabulous um, on the page. This is a very, very powerful story. Uh, well, I, 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 I think you have something there with the whole Greg Kinnear thing. I mean, the story on the page is the child's point of view. The child is a center. The child is everything. And it's it's all those fears and anxieties of an eight-year-old child losing his parent. And what are you going to do about it? Or is it all is in mind? As Evan pointed out, it's, it's, I mean... One, one sort of subtext is maybe there is something going on off the page between the parents and the child's way of dealing with it is to imagine this whole scenario with his kids of playing, let's kill, let's kill the alien monsters that are, have taken over our parents. But versus the TV show, yeah, getting a star vehicle and getting a major actor, this is really much more the story of the conversion of Greg Kinnear's dad character into the father thing than it is the kids dealing with that. Yeah, and the perception I mean, we, of his father as as a monster. Right, we, we, we get to see a lot more from his point, the monster's point of view, and what the monster wants. In, 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 the, sto in the story, we don't get that. I mean, here he's trying to explain about, oh, coming to Earth and conversion and all this stuff. And it's... And, that's that most of that stuff is not in the story at all. It's it's almost a sense that this the episode is trying to give us some sympathy for the ah shit. Sorry. Sympathy for the monster sympathy for the father thing. Yep. It, 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 and it doesn't need to do that because we don't want to have sympathy for him. I, I I mean I liked I liked everything that Greg Kinnear was doing in it. I think he was a you know, very emotional, nice dad at the beginning and uh, despite the obsession with baseball, you know, I, I think those scenes were well done. I just don't think it supports the story that 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 this is about perception. Holy cow! This is about perception. Sorry, I something. <laughs> so we're having all sorts of technical issues. Um, this is about the perception of children uh, and 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 the doubt that we have from the narrative. One of the things that we 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 see in the story is. Um, all this knowledge drop, all this knowledge bomb uh, about 
the life cycle of these alien uh, replicants, right? How in the sun it's going to get shiny and hard. It's uh, and yep. the shellac is going to like it's going to warm it up and make it ready for replacement. And then one day his mom's going to come out uh, near the garage and she's going to get replaced. And and Dick is so good at setting it up so we see the mom, right? And that's a horror, right? And then oh, there's something there he didn't see again. Uh, something there he didn't see before, right? What's this? It's the Charles thing. <laughs> yep. And that's like mm-hmm. the ultimate horror. That's the ultimate Philip K. Dick horror, right? It's not that you're worried that your wife is a robot. It's that your wife is a robot. Oh my god! And oh, I'm, a, I'm robot, a robot, right? Yeah. Yep. That, that, yep. I, as uh, we were talking before about the whole Total Recall and the whole the horror at the horror of Total Recall, the horror element is that you're not who you think you are. Yes. Even if even if you're really a cool spy, you're still not who you thought you are. That's all. That's a horror mo- motive. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm going to read that part. Uh, let's see here. It was still a larva, white and soft and pulpy, but the sun would dry and warm it, harden its shell, turn it dark and strong. It would emerge from its cocoon, and one day, when his mother came by the garage, dot, 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 Behind the mother thing were other pulpy white larvae, recently laid by the bug. How does he know all this? Small. That's the whole sentence. Small. Period. Just coming into existence. He could see where the father thing had broken off. The place where it had grown. It had matured here. And in the garage, his father had met it. Uh, We actually get a little peek at that meeting later on. Um... Or earlier, I guess. Charles began to move numbly away, past the rotting boards, the filth and debris, the pulpy mushroom larvae. Weakly, he reached out to take hold of the fence and scrambled back. Now, do you guys remember the the opening of the story is so good, right? Um, I don't know which one to tell. Which one do I tell, right? That is Yeah, that is so a way better opening good. than lights falling down from the sky. Oh, I mean, <laughs> even if they do it out of sequence and they have, like, they could have recut that so that, you know, they don't have the, yeah, the camping scene first. Mm-hmm. But it's just such a great opening. Um, he's in the garage, Charles said, but he's talking to himself. Tying to himself, Mrs. Walton removed her bright plastic apron and hung it over the doorknob. Ted, why? He never talks to himself. Go go tell him to come in here. She poured boiling black coffee in the little blue and white china cups and began ladling out creamed corn. What's wrong with you? Go tell him. I don't know which one of them to tell, Charles blurted out desperately. They both look alike. June Walton's fingers lost their hold on the aluminum pan. I love everything this the, the woman in this story. All she's good for <laughs> is ladling out uh, frozen peas, right? Cas- uh, <laughs> carrying casseroles around the kitchen. Um, sort of oblivious ah, to... the 50s, good times. Uh, oh, yeah, and... that is so 50s. <laughs> yeah, but I love that they're frozen peas, right? They're not just peas. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Walton served the frozen peas. 
Um, and then uh, her matronly bosom. <laughs> Isn't that the first line? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. it's bosoms. Her ma- it's dresses, oh. right? It's like such a weird word to put with a matronly bosom, which sounds like big and heavy. And yeah, who's, like, not, who's telling this story? <laughs> What's wrong? June Walton caught the uneasy tone in her son's voice. Her matronly bosom fluttered with sudden alarm. <laughs> and then... So she's, the, uh, she's the, like light and feminine and yeah. old. Yeah, I, old wife lady. She's but she's not a sex object, right? In the story, because no. he's—it's the kid's point of view. And yet, yeah. And yet, the boobs are very important to be mentioned, even if they're not objects of, of sex. <laughs> um, so I want to just preview, or I guess we get an insight into the, that confrontation between—is we never see the confrontation between the. The father thing and the the uh, father, like we do in the film and uh, or the video adaptation, which I think is actually fairly well done. I just don't, I I don't, I think it undercuts the whole point of the story, which is perception. Uh, but listen to this. This is very interesting. Ted threw himself down at the place and uh, at his place and unfolded his napkin. I got the shears sharpened like a razor, oiled and sharpened. Better not touch them. They'll cut your hand off. He had a good-looking. He was a good-looking man in his thirties. Thick blonde hair. Blah blah blah. Right. He was actually. This is the such good writing. He was actually sharpening those shears for a reason. What was he gonna do? He's gonna go cut yeah. that bamboo down that had been growing up in between the house where all sorts yeah. of junk had been collecting. Right. And that's when the confrontation happened. And they have some sort of conversation that we know about because Charles is there. Like, maybe the conversation was like this. Who are you? Right? I says, I'm you. <laughs> or at least I will be. Right? There's a whole untold sequence that's going on that we never get access to. But we mm-hmm. build it up ourselves. And it's a horror. Right? It's so good. This is such good yeah. writing. I think that's why I like it that you don't know too much in the short story, and it's kind of like Invaders from Mars, where the you know where the father comes and sits back at the table and is just acting weird, but you don't have all that stuff that they put in the Electric Dreams version, which is like you see the aliens coming down and you see the lightning, electricity things shooting from one guy to the other, and it's like it's all kind of told at the front. Weird tumors on their head. Yeah, it's oh, like yeah, too that, obvious. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, that kind of took away the whole the the idea of the ambiguity of it yeah. that everyone was thinking about. It's like no, it's it's clearly it's clearly aliens. It's yeah, clearly, hi, he's an alien. So here we go. Like, you remember the early, early end? There's a there's actually it's much better done. There's a guy standing in the rain pumping his gas. Um, oh yeah, the, the, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That was good. The corpse of the with the corpse of the deer. Yeah. Right, which is totally legit. I mean, if if you're doing a camping sequence, that's this is something that totally resonates with a kid. You know, it's just isn't that horrible? There's a dead body in the back of the thing, but it's a deer. That's okay. He's a hunter. Um, and the way they subtly do the he's an alien thing is they just darken his eyes a little bit back and forth, like digitally. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if that's actually happening. Is that just my perception, right? That his eyes are becoming darkened um, in a way that I can't see his eyes. And then, of course, they they confirm, oh, definitely, there was something going on, Jesse, because look at this shit crawling under Greg Kinnear's face. And, uh, like, now there's no perception 
questions. Like, look, I can freeze frame it. Now it's moving, right? Like that whole idea of what 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 the perception is is gone when you just yeah. say it. You yeah, just show they it. it. They do it really well in um in Westworld when the um when the hosts are kind of like in their programming mode and I was reading an mm-hmm. interview with Evan Rachel Wood and they kind of look into the middle distance like yes. through the person and you can see they're you're not sure are they conscious right now are they there or are they not there right you know and it's so subtle it's all it's acting so cool. right yeah and and it's, it's not, not like things crawling under their skin and, that's right yeah it's uh, uh, that that show is much more faithful to Philip K. Dick's ideas than mm. than I mean not to plots obviously but yeah. to ideas and and the the what is human question that's going through i mean the whole man in black thing uh, we we need to do a show on westworld and i think we uh, uh, there is a story we can sort of connect it up to um because it is so faithful to pkd yeah that whole like yeah human or not human question is just all the way through it and yeah it's not what know, makes in the you short, human, in this yeah. electric dreams adaption it was just like hi they're not human here you go watch what happens now <laughs> and I, I mean there's so many plot hole problems like okay at some point he's up in his room and the internet goes out and it says internet out all over the screen right so we know and then <laughs> and then later on we find out the internet's back up and running um and it's okay now he can hit do his hashtag resist resist and know. we know there's the earth's also, gonna be saved in this episode, there's also one of the dumbest scenes ever, which is almost funny. It's like the only part that could be kind of humorous, but it's not. Is when the guy is about to commit suicide and he's standing on the ledge and the cop goes, oh, yeah, step off the ledge, <laughs> like trying to call him back. And it's too obvious. Teacher's name was Mr. Dick. And then later on, they call him Philip, right? Yeah. 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 What, were you, what were you saying, Evan? I think... Oh, oh, what was I saying? Yeah. Just uh, go ahead, Evan. Oh, something oh, about I, the I, wife. I just, I just also found that scene kind of ridiculous with all. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just my wife's not my wife anymore. That's people are always weird at various times. I think yeah, you kind of get used to that. I, I think when you're living with someone for a while, that. They're off certain days, or you know. Yeah. There was even one that said, "My dog's not my dog," right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but or but I mean, but, but there's, there's like a true self. Is I guess what I'm suspicious of. There's the, but the, but that's a trope that's used a lot. I mean, you've all seen yeah. the first Men in Black movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and 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 part of the plot is, I mean, when uh. When Will Smith goes up to the go up to the phone, the woman says it it didn't sound, it didn't feel like Edgar it was he was like wearing an Edgar suit. It's just like uh, the whole idea, oh, yeah, like I, yeah, yeah I, it's like I mean, yeah, even she's known for twenty years, known the guy for twenty years. I mean, it's like suddenly you decide that he's an alien, even if he is doing weird things like drinking sugar and water. It's like okay, yeah. I mean, but as, you point, as you point out, Evan, yeah, it's. Not everybody acts the same way every day. Yeah, and you guys probably have this th- um, thing as well. Like as Philip K, I feel like Philip K. Dick fans probably relate to this. Where you know this thing called imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. where you yes. feel like the imposter in a situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I more often have the feeling 
which I think Philip K. Dick did as well, is that you know, you're all the imposters. Like, like everyone feels like a kind of, like this kind of fake, they're acting in a certain way because they have to do the certain thing. And that makes me feel more uncomfortable sometimes when I feel like everyone else has been a kind of imposter and you mm-hmm. have to play along. And I feel like that's what Philip K. Dick writes about a lot. Yeah. There is actually a, a kind of psychological problem. I don't say disease, but it definitely a, uh, s- syndrome of some kind, you know, some sort of issue yeah. where, where people literally think that somebody has been replaced. Um, yeah. And that sense of of them being replaced is, you know, with a exact replica of the person, but definitely not the person. Is it, it's it's like deja vu. It's, it's something it, it's that's going on. It's called Capgras syndrome. There you go. Yeah, and that's the extreme version. And now I think we talked about it on another podcast as well that it's also known as like the Truman something syndrome now as well because people think that the, yeah, the they're in show, a reality yeah. show mm. and that everyone's an actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but that that that's that's an idea that's gone back not only back through science fiction but all the way back to the idea of fairy and changelings. Right. Mm. I mean, I mean, see, following the broken sword. Mm-hmm. Sorry, um, sorry, Mr. Like a, uh, Mr. Jim that. Moon did a show on changelings that was fascinating, because um, you know he's deep into folklore and mythology, and he talks about uh, how you know changelings are actually very interestingly a way of explaining and sort of normalizing something that nobody would ever want to talk about in real life which is infanticide. So you come into your house and your baby's screaming and you're screaming and screaming and won't stop screaming and then the father picks it up and he shakes it, right? Or the mother picks it up and shakes it and the baby dies. And they say, well, it's it's the reason that the baby died is because it was a changeling. It had been replaced by the elves took the baby. And they replaced, right. or fairies took the baby and replaced it with one of theirs in a kind of cuckoo egg situation, which a cuckoo is a bird that Philip K. Dick is always thinking about. There's a, uh, uh, one of my best episodes, very early Philip K. Dick episode, is my awesome theory, I think, on um, Beyond the Door, which is all about the cuckoo clock and the cuckoo um, r- replacement of... Um, uh, you know whose baby is it, right? Yeah, the mm-hmm. the 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 baby that he's going to be raising is not going to be his if his wife is cheating on him, and it's it's just great. And Philip K. Dick is very in tune with little details like that that most people just really pass over. Show completely passes over it. It's not in the line of dialogue. I bet you guys didn't even notice it, but I want to point you right to it right at the beginning. Listen to this. Um, it's the second line, or the second paragraph. Charles hesitated. He was only eight years old, and the problem bothering him would have confounded Hillel. Yes, I did notice that. I was yeah. like, why is, he, why is why Hillel he in here, <laughs> and who is telling this, right? It's it's Philip K. Dick talking there. It's not the kid. The kid doesn't know who yeah. Hillel is, right? And uh, Hillel's an interesting figure, but um, mostly he's, like, he's the guy who's all about the Talmud, right? And the Talmud yep. is is commentaries on on uh, the Torah, and basically it's interpretation, right? It's, it's wisdom of what the hell do these ancient texts mean, and how do we get, gain anything of value from them? 
And so it's people arguing, like, basically on internet forums for thousands of years about, you know, what what, what Star Wars is really about or something like oh, that. Oh, my, oh my God. You, you, you've, you've, you're now co- comparing Talmudic commentary to internet forums? 100%. Think, <laughs> think oh, of, God. I think yeah, I, I think Confucian commentary is kind of the same way. Oh, really? Uh, it's totally right. I mean, it's, yeah, if you think about how, uh, how uh, Batman... Right, is a character. He's a figure. We know his his beginnings. We know his his uh, ultimate form. We know, you know, he's got this assistant Alfred. He, we we know his parents were killed in an alley outside of a movie theater. We know all of these things about Batman, um, and his passion for justice or whatever, and the interpretations. And then what you have are endless stories spun about him. This is the story of Jesus, right? He's a he is essentially fan fiction from uh, 2,000 years ago, where a bunch of people who heard of Jesus wrote wrote stories about him in the same way that people write stories about Spider-Man. He's a public domain figure of <laughs> of awesomeness, right? He can do anything. Let me tell you the stories about him, like Superman, right? I had all these powers sort of a, a glom onto him. And yet we have to live with those stories 2,000 years later. So the Torah is that, right? But more importantly than just mentioning Hillel being related to the the Talmud, or the the Talmud is that I guess is what I was saying. But um, more importantly, he's it says in the Wikipedia entry here he's popularly known for two sayings, and these I think are both interesting in regard to this story. If I am not for myself, who is for me? And being for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? So that's very cryptic right if i am not for myself who is for me well this is actually the little boy's dilemma he could just Mm -hmm. go along with everything right and trust in his father saying everything's going to be all right don't worry about it um but he knows something's wrong and we know something's wrong even with the tiny little touches like when he comes in from the garage he says mmm beef stew (laughs) <laughs> or no, mm, mm, lamb stew, smacking his lips yeah. and sniffing, right? No, the wife says, beef stew. Oh, he's off. He's off. He's wrong. Yeah. Something, tiny little detail. Even though his enthusiasm is, is nice, there's something off about him. Yeah, which is my favorite kind of fiction. Like oh, anything totally. It has that weird flavor where like, things are a little bit off, and you have to like really pay attention and think about like what's really happening here. It's so fun. So missing from the adaptation. The other, um, the other. There's an old Next Generation Star Trek Next Generation episode. Oh yeah. I think it's way back to the first season. It's called Conspiracy. Yep. It also has where people are taken over by like a bug slugs, creature. Yep. Bug yeah, slugs. it's. And there, I think that was actually done maybe better in a way because that's a better like adaptation. Commanding officers. <laughs> it's just like the admirals are taking over, right? Mm-hmm. And then Picard and Riker have to figure this out. It's a very so dark ending, the and then it's never mentioned again. Orders that are a bit off and, and a bit strange. And I've been reading Melville lately, mm-hmm. you know, White Jacket and Moby Dick and Redburn, and he's obsessed with this idea that there's like this, there's like the crew mentality, and there's a way they see the world, and mm. then there's like the, the higher ups see the world kind of differently, and there, there's always this bifurcation in in any institution like that, and you know maybe that's the case with the family as well. I've been listening mm. to a really terrific uh, audio drama adaptation of Moby Dick, 
and it, mm-hmm. it it's only two hours long, and the book is like 20 hours long, right, or 18 yeah. or something like that. So it's really has to cut away a lot of material, but um, it's incredibly well done still. And there is a great scene that's highlighted in this, which is when right before the the final spotting of the white whale, right where he actually clamps eyes on it, right, Ahab, um, uh, Starbuck. Uh, comes to him and he says, you know, this is this is folly, and it's almost at the point where Ahab seems to be like almost agreeable to the idea that this is folly, um, and then they sight the white whale, and he says to uh, Starbuck, um, your ship, your your boat will not be one of the ones that drops with us, right? And then everybody is upset who's on that boat, you know. Uh, uh, it, it's very interesting because Ishmael completely disappears out of the story in the in the latter half, even though he's the teller of the tale, right? He his personhood disappears, but you can't do that in an audio drama. You can't have no course, yeah. no talker, right? So he's there and he's upset. But the uh, there's even a confrontation very similar to that with with um, Starbuck talking to uh, who's the um, one of the other boat commanders. Um, he's the second mate. Who's the second mate? Stubbs. Stubbs, yeah, Stubbs. And and yeah. uh, Starbuck says this is madness. And uh, Stubbs says Ahab is Ahab, right? <laughs> he is who he is, and he he won't he won't be party to uh, mutiny. Um, and they all go to their doom. Right, that whole story starts off as sort of a merry romp, and then they all go to their doom because of this passion for defeating God or something like that. Um, I, I didn't mention the second rule or second uh, saying that Hillel the Elder's known for, and this also might be cryptically uh, associated with this story, the father thing. Uh, the expression uh, of the ethic of reciprocity or the golden rule which is, uh, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. And uh, then it continues, that is the whole Torah, the rest is explanation, go and learn. So, it is not cool (laughs) to kill your dad, right? This is a very biblical thing, right? Where parents kill children, children kill parents, um, brother kills brother. Um, that's typically what they're doing is they're saying, this is, here's a horror, here's a horrific story. Now, what do you make of that? And then the Torah is like, Jesus, this is a hard problem. (laughs) How do we justify the genocide of this neighboring tribe? Okay. Well, maybe it's a story like this, right? Um, and so. They're not human. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's totally unjustified to kill your father just because he, you know, sniffs, uh, lamb stew instead of beef stew but um not if he's eaten your father and left him in a bin in the garage then it's you don't have to you know you would want your son to avenge you right you would want your more importantly you'd want your son to save himself and um it's 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 very interesting that he just throws that line in there and it informs us in a way if if we're if we see it and it's in the background of our mind, but it doesn't, you know, explicitly state anything. Just like, you know, you don't never see the slug under the skin crawling around or anything like that in the story. 
It's just his dad acting strangely. And mm. and it's not even that strange, really, right? So there's a scene. Have have you guys read it or seen the movie, the recent movie? Long, long time ago. Movie. Now they've done the both. One. So they aged up the kids in that movie, the one they just did. Mm-hmm. So in the book, they're, they're like 11, mm-hmm. 10, 11. And in the movie, they, they made them like 13 or 14 almost. They're older, right? Mm-hmm. So the, I think they're... I, I don't know. I'd have to like, I don't know where when kids lose their imagination, but I think it's somewhere between those two years where they start to kind of lose it. Yep. And I think a big part of the, something that was missing in the movie adaptation that's really strong in the book is the, is this role of imagination, right? Where these, like there's a scene in the book where they're using like sneezing powder and voices and things to actually attack this entity. Mm. And it's not the kind of thing you'd believe like 14, 13 older kids would, would do. And, you know, I, I, I think the younger kids really do look at the world so differently. I they think do. by the time they're older, they, they're more adult than, than child anymore. Yeah. And I don't know quite when that year is, but I, I think that was really a mistake in that, that, that adaptation. And I don't know if the kid in the, the, this film version of the father thing was too old or not he was older than, than eight it seemed well yeah he had to be i mean just look at that history class eight-year-olds don't learn about the norman conquest no that, that, yeah, that whole that's... sequence doesn't need to be there that we don't need anything outside the neighborhood at all um but i, yeah, I also want to point to cut out the whole school i want to point to you know i i think the the use of the bully was actually fairly um good in the, the, the adaptation is sticking fairly close to what's in the story, right? He's mm-hmm. uh, he's a jerk, but he's on the team, right? He's yeah. a jerk, yeah. but he he has a role to play. And it's funny, um, they uh, they have a black friend in the the TV adaptation, but he's only at school. Um, the 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 team really is is the three, right? The in the the Charles, um, the uh, Peretti kid, who's the guy with the BB gun, and then there's Daniels, the one who's um, who's good at fi- somebody who's good at finding, right? And finding <laughs> is like a thing, but I know somebody who's good at finding. Bobby Daniels, the the little black kid, is he good at finding? Right, this idea that finding is a thing. Yeah, it right. sounds like a like a magic power. Totally young kid that, thing, right? That's, that whole scene though is, is why I think it just sounds so much like they're playing. To they me. are playing. It's like, it's imagination. We can, kill the gun. we can drown it or burn it. That's or stick right. It with a pin in his brain. And Daniel says, "I have a jar of formaldehyde. How does this thing work?" And yeah. they're they're shooting it with a gun. Yeah, it's like I don't know. it's it's totally it is play, right? And and then the question yeah. is, did did this play go too far, right? They, they, one of the things that they say at the end, right? I love the ending because he says, I, we left some matches on the driveway, right? Uh, let's go, let, and they followed him beginning searching for the matches. But they also say, uh, we better run the hose. We don't want this thing to get out of control, right? They're going to light mm-hmm. the side of the house on fire, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, 
the the space between the house and the fence is going to be small. There there's all this bamboo that's overgrown. That's why the uh, that's why uh, the father was out there trimming those hedge, uh, getting ready to trim the hedges. They're all overgrown. And what's in there? All this junk. And then there's this spider's web sort of nest. Actually, there's a kind of um, uh, moth that infected one of my mom's trees this year. And it it went from like, oh, what's that in the tree? And then the next day, basically, the whole thing was covered with uh, web. It was it was um, a kind of moth that it looks like a giant spider's web. that It's a tent moth or something like that. And it covers the entire tree, and, and then the stuff inside eats all the leaves. The tree died, right? Like, within the space of a week, the tree was dead. And the, the only solution is you have to take the tree out, right? You have to cut it down so it doesn't spread to other trees. And that is exactly what we're dealing with, right? The father was out in the garage trimming this stuff, right? Kid kid goes in and looks in and he sees uh his dad in there and he's acting mean right i'm gonna trim those things and he's got the sharpener going and the kids and he's talking to himself right and the kid's like which dad do i talk to the one who yelled at me yesterday or the one who i like who likes baseball you know sort of that and then that's like what are you talking about the the mom's just sort of floating around there not paying attention this is total imagination stuff, right? And well, the fear of imagination is... I remember in early 80s... Uh, Paul, you probably heard, remember this as well. The horror of Dungeons & Dragons is that oh, it's going to drive you insane. Oh, oh, yeah. You're going to uh, kill yeah, your oh, family. Yes, it's sequel to Everett Worcester. Yes, yes, the whole mazes and monsters insanity. Exactly. And it like there was a, a literal book I, I, I got... Uh, called the Dungeon Master, which was written by this crazy uh, private investigator who investigated the death of some kid at at a university who apparently killed himself and um, uh, used to go down in the tunnels under the university and play LARPing Dungeons and Dragons games. And clearly, Dungeons and Dragons caused it. Like what? Okay. Wow, that's crazy. That was actually a thing. Yeah, that and this is a thing. It was a yeah. huge wow. thing, right? Like that sounds like how people talk about video games now. Oh, it, well, it was even more intense right. than that because yeah. there was no dispelling it because it was in the popular media and there was no other kind of media, right? The only thing you knew was what everybody was saying. There was no uh, alternative to you know internet saying no this is bullshit or podcast saying no this is bullshit no, unless you knew somebody who knew it was bullshit and could ex- articulate that there was no way to know that it was total bullshit. Wow. It was a, a kind of mass hysteria that was reinforced by the idiot idiocracy of television and and ra- radio shows doing you know repeating what's on television. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, Paul, you were saying something, I think. Um, no, no. So I was, I was going, just going to say, yeah, that my, my, my parents looked askance when my older brother, younger brother, and I started playing Dungeons and Dragons because of that perception of just how bad it was. But, I mean, luckily she didn't throw away our role-playing books or anything like that. But, yeah, it was well known, like... <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my, oh my god! It's gonna it's gonna turn you into turn you into secret devil worshiper. It was a th- <laughs> it was a thing. it was my a constant threat. To me. My pastor t- t- dragged me aside at one point and said, "Wow!" When I was still going to church, you know, when I was a kid, 
he dragged me aside and said, like, I heard you're playing this stuff. It's bad. Wow. <laughs> you shouldn't do it. It's, it's, you can't be a good Christian and, and, and do this, you know, play this stuff. He was right. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> stop doing this geeky shit. Uh, stop using your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some wild stuff in the Bible. Oh, I yes. Mean. But it's... You read that. I mean... One reason I liked to read the Bible when I was younger was like the wild stuff in the Old Testament, all the wars, and I mean, there's a lot of kind of weird stuff in there. It's it, it, it's a book of more and more appeal as I get away from the people who are trying to push it on me, you know? Yeah, because mm-hmm. it, it's crazy because it, it, they don't use it uh, the way. Philip K. Dick is using it here, right? As a referent. They use it as sort of a, this is the word of God. No questioning. And and the whole thing is, I think it, these are stories meant to be questioned in the same way that folk tales are meant to be questioned. You say, wait a second. Hansel and Gretel's uh, parents are acting like that, and you're cool with that? I was like, I don't think, like, it's not just a cool story. It's also like, uh, ways of living. That's what stories are about, right? And and the the genocide and the child murder that's going, uh, brother killing, all that stuff that's going on in the first first half of the Bible is very unexplainable unless exactly. you do the Talmud, right? You you go in and say, well, what does this really mean, and how do we really interpret it, rather than just yeah. literalism. And, and if you're saying this book of magical stories is the way to live, then of course anything else that's remotely magical is going to be competition. Right, right. Read. Like, isn't there grown-ass adults today in the in the modern age of information that still are afraid of Harry Potter books and stuff as well, for the same reason? Yeah, they moved like on to other, other I, I don't think Harry Potter's the, the focus of the it's not, ire. It's not the one anymore. The current focus of the <laughs> yeah, ire. No, but yeah, it's, it, Harry Potter's come and gone so no no you know what you know what it is to say it's Fortnite because i i was i was driving down the road just yesterday and passed by a church and there was a billboard saying jesus greater than Fortnite." (gasps) i kid you not (laughs) that's so funny like wow it's like really going to do that really i I mean parts of minnesota are a lot more conservative than you'd think I mean, but yeah, because we we we're we're the state to put up a billboard that had George W. Bush on in two thousand nine, and said, "Miss me yet?" And every time see, I pass by, I'd say, "No." See, these people are the human things to me. Like, I'm just like, what are you? You're not real. <laughs> they're the human things. Yeah, they're like the father things and mother things, and like the the weird replicant people that yeah. I can't understand. <laughs> It seems to mostly be about control. Uh, every, all of this stuff is about control and the fear of yeah. losing control and all that stuff. Um, what I love about this story is that the, it is from the kid's point of view. So the control is all in his hands and that being in his hands, are it's a horror, right? This is a straight up horror story. That's why it's so Stephen Kingy, and why when Greg Kinnear looks like Stephen King, um, it resonates even stronger. Right, with the glasses and the the you know writerly I don't know look what Stephen King has a very distinctive face, 
And as I don't know if everybody sort of just turns into Stephen King as they get older. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> that would be a weird world. <laughs> but uh, he, he, I don't remember Greg Kinnear looking like Stephen King before. And now he's like, well, that's Stephen King right there. Um, <laughs> was it an accident or is it was it was like, I'm going to play this like Stephen King because it is so Stephen King. Um, I don't know. Uh, the mom is is minimized in the in the film uh but she's minimized in the text as well she's almost not there it is really about the kids experience is this this the first one of the adaptations that doesn't try some gender bending because all the others seem to try to swap these roles i think that's right i was thinking about that what would what would be different if it was a, a daughter instead of a son and I, I was thinking, well, they wouldn't have the baseball. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to do the baseball bonding as much. That would be interesting, though, because like girls can be more sensitive to that um, father switching to aggressive mode, you know, yeah. thing. Like that would have been an interesting take on it. I, I think they missed an opportunity there. You're right, Marissa. Yeah. I don't think it. I I don't think you mentioned it um, on your podcast, Evan. But I I might be wrong, but. Um, I must have read somewhere somebody talking about the Freudian aspect of this story. Did you mention that? I don't think you did. I don't think I directly mentioned yeah, it. I, I don't remember So, that. like, he's, he but wants to kill his it. father to replace his father so he can marry his mom, who's got the heaving bosoms or something, right? Like, I don't, I don't know about that. Oh, I think this is more about horror than it is the horror mm-hmm. of, of your father not being your father than it is about replacing... Like I almost thought maybe at the beginning of the adaptation, maybe they're going to get eliminate the mom, and just have him be a, a single dad, and mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. see then he could just run away, right? He's saving his mom. That's part of the story, right? Yeah. So the thing, since we're going to like, if we're talking about how you could retell that adaptation, I actually um, don't agree with you guys that the short stories felt like it was like the kids are just imagining all this like i read it as straight alien invasion oh yeah it is but uh, but, but it also has it. as a background to it it could be as a totally imagine, right yeah yeah it's totally ins- it's a, it's like uh totally inspired by that yes exactly how you play but then when i after i listened to e- evan's podcast about that um and thought of it that way and then watched the adaptation i was like oh like this would have been so cool if they'd gone dark and he actually, like his father was actually, um, had multiple personalities or was just, had this dark side to him and the kid actually killed his father at some point. Like, I could see it going that way where he's, you know, the kid's just a psycho. <laughs> Thinks his dad is a psycho well, and alien. And I him. remember why I was thinking about it so much, mm-hmm. you know, when I was reviewing this stuff. is There's a scene in the book where... Beverly is like talking to her father and her father is possessed by this yeah, creature. That's the, that's the entity. And, and he starts like vault being very vulgar and violent towards her. And then she's running away from him and he's just chasing her and yelling at her through the town. And the other townspeople are just like, you know, we don't watch this. Right. But that is a bit true to life. It seems yeah. like when we when we see crazy towards children, whether it's at a grocery store or other places, we, you know, the, our first instinct isn't to say like, "Dude, you're you're going crazy here." Mm-hmm. It's kind of looks the other way. 
at yeah. that. And that's kind of a horrible thing for, for children to face because parents so are many kids are Yeah, so many kids are in that situation with just horrible, horrible monsters for parents. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, doesn't do enough. Uh, I think you, uh, you, you really put something nice on there. I, and I, I, I think your podcast is really good, uh, on this story. I listened to it prior to the, the, uh, I only listen to your shows when I've read the story already, which means there's a few I haven't. Okay. Um, uh, you know, a lot of your novels, you, you've read novels that I haven't done yet, I guess. Um, but, uh, I, I I, th- I like your connection. Straight American lit stuff. Uh, well, I don't listen to most of those because I, I haven't heard most of those. Yeah. Right, but I, whenever there's some, I, I'm looking forward to it because I, I want to get into a lot of the stuff you're you're looking at. Um, but uh, I wanted to point out you made a nice connection. I think to Human Is that that these were written around the same time. Um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. one thing you didn't mention, and it's one of my favorite stories by PKD, and it's as dark as this one, if not darker. I think it's even darker. Is the hanging stranger, which is uh, yeah, it's kind of this story, but told from the father's point of view rather than the family's point, or the rest of the family's point of view. So the father in that mm-hmm. one is down in the basement. He's digging the basement. He's digging a new cellar, um, and everyone else is uh, in the town is upstairs, right? And then when he comes out, the whole world's changed. Everybody's menacing and threatening. And the reason we know this is because in the neighborhood, uh, there's a human hanging from a lamppost, uh, like strung up. And it's like a, it's a beautiful sort of allegory or symbol for lynching that was happening in, you know, PKD's dad's day uh, throughout the United, well, I guess not throughout, but in the United States and how communities would just come together and lynch somebody um for no good reasons basically and mob mentality and all that stuff right um but eventually we find out that the reason he was not affected the main character was not affected is because he was underground when the event happened and and what that event is is not super clear but ultimately um everybody has been replaced by some sort of insect like creature and he, there's a scene where he's in his own home again after he's come back from the TV repair store, right? Um, and he says, quick, family, we got to go. Get in the car, right? And the family's resistant, but he insists. And then as they're coming down the stairs, he sees them for their true form, right? Which is insectoid. And uh, he, he's freaked out. And this is right near the end of the story. He drives off. Uh, or runs off into the countryside to the neighboring town um, where he becomes the new hanging stranger, right? And that sense of cold war paranoia, everybody's being replaced by communists, all that stuff's in there. But ultimately, the horror is in the family, right? It's It's not just in the community, it's in the house, right? My wife is not my wife, my kid is not my kid. This is... You know, that's sort of the classic story of divorce is people like up and leave, right? Some usually a father up and leaves the kids and the wife, and they're you know they don't ever see him again, or if they do, you know he lives in a faraway city and he's he's a distant figure, not a figure of the family anymore. 
and that that mm-hmm. um so you know PKD had five wives, so this is not a uh, uh, unknown to him. But also, you know, the the idea that his own his own trauma being worked out in these stories or thought through in these stories is something that uh, I never thought about PKD's parents before, right? But in thinking about how his father was uh, divorced from his mom and he never got to see him over long stretches of time, that that um, you know, and that gas mask story, wow, right? It's it could fuck a kid up. <laughs> maybe maybe mm-hmm. make him have trouble with uh, keeping his relationship straight. Mm. I see what you mean. Uh, uh, people often, you know, uh, they they react to things in their childhood in ways subconsciously. I think later in their life, you know, they don't. Uh, they try either to avoid the mistakes of their parents, or they try, or or they don't avoid them. Right? They repeat them. Yeah. And uh, and it's not like his. It didn't sound like his father beat him every day or anything like that. Uh, you know that they were drug addicts and screwing things up. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't think everything was happy families there. That's why they moved across the country, right? And, and why and why Philip K. Dick's own life and the relationships he depicts in these stories are so dysfunctional? Yeah, but the, no, no, notice they have the veneer of of everything's normal at first, right? They, Which is a very 50, 50s sort of Brady Bunch happy yes. days sort of look. Where, but you just you just look underneath and Chuck Chuck Cunningham has disappeared and no one remembers it. Yeah, and, and and all the times in the uh, PKD story where some guys his, his his family's going well, and then no, it's off to uh, another planet to uh, get some psychotherapy. Right? Or um, like in Martian time slip, yeah. Manfred Steiner's father. Like it's a it seems to be a pretty normal family when you meet him, but then I think it's like chapter two or three, you find out that the father is, you know, like a mental case, and he kills himself. Yeah. Like, like right in the, like the second or third chapter of the novel, and that that, that kind of precipitates the events of that novel. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I think you're on to something. I think I'd like to go back and check out all these kids in these PKD stories and, and look at the fathers actually. Another mm-hmm. another tale. There are normal fathers from time to time, but I think there's a lot of these aloof ones too. They're always at work or. Uh, I, I also point to, um, you know, I, I said, I guess, before that the PKD is one of the few science fiction writers who ever talks about children, right? Um, yeah. I know Heinlein has sort of juveniles, but they're 14, 15, 16-year-old kids usually, right? They're, they're becoming competent, whereas these are young kids. And there's a story, um, uh, probably his least love story, of all PKD stories is um, Tony and the Beatles, which is uh, about a kid. That's the least loved. I, I like that story. It, it it was barely published. That was in a magazine called Orbit, I think. That uh, it yeah. got it was like a test publication. Um, I mean, the father thing. Um, David mentioned uh, that the father thing is one of his most published stories, and it it was actually published in a. A textbook called Themes in Science Fiction in 1972, mm-hmm. and people are still reading that story for school. I think I, maybe some schools still have that textbook, 
which is crazy, but, um, <laughs> you know, 45 year old textbook, it's crazy, but, um, or 48 year, oh, 46, whatever, a very old textbook. Um, that had this Philip K. Dick story, which I think is great. Everybody should have it in their school because it's a good story. But um, if you th- if you think about, oh, I think I've lost my train of thought. Sorry, I got just I, I, I derailed myself. Sorry. <laughs> well, Tony and the Beatles. Oh, I, Tony and the Beatles. That's it. Such a great story of postcolonialism. I, I think it's such a I don't know why people don't like that. Story. Well, yeah, that's uh, I did hear your show on it, and it is you did talk about the post-colonial aspect, and I never thought about it at all. What I what I thought about it is this is another Italian kid, right? Um, I I want to oh, say Tancredi or something was his name. Um, we have an mm-hmm. Italian kid in this story, um, and his best friend is not a Negro in this case, but rather a um, uh, he's a bug. Right, and then he's alienated from his bug bug friend because of the things going on. And do you remember the parents in the in Tony and the Beatles? The parents are like, yeah, this is how it is now. We're in a war with the bugs, and uh, the Beetlejuicians, uh, we owe them nothing. And this kid has been grown up in their society, right? And he's not cool with that. And he's got a dog that's a robot. And the story is, it's not one of Philip K. Dick's best, but the fact that it has a kid as the main character in a science fiction story is almost unheard of. That is something you never see as the main character. You never see that. I mean, you might see it in a, you know, a, a book, but you never see it in a short story at all. I, 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 can't, I can't even count anybody else who's ever done it, other than... You know, some joke stories here or there, or, you know, like ones where it's almost like a cat or something is the main character. That's much more common is have an animal as the main character in a short story. And uh, he's really working out something, right? Uh, moving to a new neighborhood, uh, the fr- going to the frontier is going to California, right? And uh, moving across country with your mom uh, for, for reasons you can't understand. When I was a kid, we moved. I don't want to leave all my friends behind. I don't understand why we have to move. Can't we just stay where we are? Like, not understanding economics or housing or, well, jobs or anything like that. You just have to do what your parents say, and you, you resent it, and you hate them for it, right? Because that's your that was your world that's being uprooted. And then they make yeah. arbitrary decisions, like, I'm not friends with that kid's parents anymore for some reason that you don't know about. Um, now you can't hang out with that kid anymore. What? That's not cool. The arbitrary power of adults, um, and the and the world. Like, why is everybody being mean to me now? Oh, because we're at war, and the Italians are on the enemy side, right? You get teased for having an Italian name or something like that. Not that Dick had an Italian name, but obviously this is something that comes up. I don't know. Sorry. Well, have have you read Project Earth? Project Colon Earth. Yeah, that sounds familiar. KD story. What's it about? It's, it's another one about kids. That's the oh. only reason I mention it. And it, this, it's, it's basically about some aliens who are playing with human evolution and, and experimenting. And Earth is essentially just like another project that aliens are engaged in. Mm. And 
and the kid but the the opening scene that's really cool i think is like the kids of the neighborhood are spying on this weirdo this old guy and it's only the kids who realize how weird this this one dude is who's living in a in a house and they're spying on him and they're sneaking into the house and then one of the kids gets caught and then he reveals his his evil plan or whatever that he's really an alien and he's doing this you know basically the earth is a construction of like a, a science experiment that hmm. the aliens are engaged in that, that's sort of the story but the the opening scene though of these kids spying on this this neighbor guy i remember as a kid like you know like that that house has got the weirdos in it you know and we would dare people to knock on the door or whatever that 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 seemed very true to life when mm-hmm. i read that that one uh, has another story that has kids in it. Yeah, and that one hasn't got a lot of having imagination about like what is the neighbor up to behind that that door? You know, the, the weird neighbor. I want to read that. I don't think I've read it. The same thing. Yeah, Cookie Lady, another story uh, told from. But that one you could pass off as a fantasy, right? Uh, some sort mm-hmm. of weird urban fantasy that Philip K. Dick pioneered and nobody else took up. Which I I, I just love his his fantasy stories are. Are fascinating, but yeah, it's, it's it is a kid's point of view mostly. Um, uh, yeah, I want to read Project Earth. I don't think I have read it. It's, it, it. It again didn't get a very good um, distribution, other than you know in in his own yeah, prints. I think it was just in the collected stories. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm know looking, if it's apologize anywhere else. Yeah, in foreign languages, it's been published a few times, but um, mm. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, did but, we cover but at least we still have the father thing here, which is as been pointed was pointed out one of the most anthologized Dick stories, mm-hmm. and stands up well even if it's not a typical Dick story in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to come back to one thing that we were just talking about um, mm-hmm. with the with his the thing with um, Philip K. Dick and his father. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of thinking, sort of speculating, like. I wonder if his father had like multiple personality disorder or some kind of schizophrenia because that's another theme. Like it would be kind of interesting if that was the same thing that he saw um, in his family. And then I just pulled up this, uh, uh, someone's like essay on him. And they say that he diagnosed obviously himself, which we know is schizophrenic sometimes and also called his mother you know, a cold schizoid. But they say that um, he had an abusive grandfather and that the woman and his family were probably just like victims of this. That's why probably everyone acted a little mm, weird. Mm. So E.G. Kindred was apparently an abusive grandfather. Um, so, the, yeah, there could have been some like trauma in that family where people were acting in that kind of multiple uh, personality disorder, which is caused by trauma and abuse. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting that the how you know it, it literally is a story of a two fathers, right? Two yeah. And I I mean I don't know anybody who has multiple personality disorder. I know people who have schizophrenia, which is not the same thing. Um, yeah. But I think back then he, they called kind. it the same thing, right? Yeah, so. I mean, uh, the, these things shift around, right? The one that uh, I get uh, parents concerned, you know, they, they're they coming to me looking for help with their kids because their 
their teachers are saying they have ADD and they take them to the doctor and they says, well, we can give them some drugs. It's like, this kid just doesn't like school. And there's a reason they don't like school because mm-hmm. school sucks. Right? So uh, the ADD diagnosis is, is, you know, the kid doesn't go outside enough, doesn't run around, doesn't get tired, doesn't have adventures like these kids are having in this story. Um, I'm not a doctor and I'm sure there are, people who are more on that but i i was listening to that joe rogan interview of elon musk and he he was saying how you really wouldn't want to be him because his brain is always going and always you know spinning out stuff and it it seems like he's really creative but it's not normal right it's it's mm-hmm. so um like an engine spinning More without like any resistance creativity. right that mat that manic energy um for thought is uh, uh, I you know I have some text and it says you know uh, the kid needs to read it and it's like why Maya Angelou's uh, inauguration speech or inauguration poem for Barack Obama is is something of interest to almost anybody I I can't understand why any kid from Canada would want to read that right but that's what they're being told to read. Now, if you read one that's, you know, about, I don't know, Barry Seal and the CIA <laughs> um, doing, the, you know, flights of cocaine from Nicaragua to support the Contras, that's much more interesting, right? Like, there are just things that are more interesting. They seem to try and make school as least interesting as possible. And uh, I, I, I'm going off topic, but I, I'm not sure this multiple personality thing is caught co- because you know, sometimes I'm mad at my mom. Sometimes I was mad at my dad. And I would say things like, you're so mean, right? And in that moment, I think they are, like, suddenly a mean, meaner version of the person I used to know, who is right. kind and loving. And people have bad days. Yeah, but multiple personality disorder is where they actually think they're someone else. Yeah. Like, have a totally different personality and sometimes can't even remember being that other person. Right. So it'd be interesting if there was something like that in his family that he saw, you know, that inspired this whole kind of changing person. It's so interesting because he never talks about his parents, really. Um, Right. Right. I'd love to know more about them now. And he doesn't have any siblings that are alive, right? So he doesn't, we don't have any comparison. He sort of just bursts forth um, as a science fiction writer. And uh, we know a lot more about Lovecraft's uh, family and how screwed up they were and, you know, the relationships. But he just seems to be a a kid working at a repair shop and then suddenly he's in a music store and then he's he's a writer. Mm. And and where that came from. I mean, even genetics genetics aside, there is something to your childhood affecting your life later on. Yeah. So, uh, also, if you guys feel like watching um, people with multiple personality disorder, I got in a weird YouTube loop the last, in a week or so ago, and there are people who have it who are making YouTube videos, like, recording as they're each different personality, so you can see them shifting between cuts, and it's amazing. Wow. 
and some of them are aware of each other and others aren't and they have they write each other like notes and cues so they know how to make the youtube video wow yeah it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) and the thing is is you know like is this connected to like as a kid you you know you say i'm a detective now right (laughs) you just sort of go off Mm -hmm. and do that as the kids do here right I, i know a finder right he's good at finding things um, and when you move from place to place, you can you can say, no, I have a new personality now. I'm the kid with the goth haircut, or I don't know, the I'm an emo now, right? And and you just sort of forget and deny any previous existence. Um, how uh, how much of of the, uh, if this is not biological, but um, play mm. i don't i'm i'm not saying that it, it can't be real because i don't know but i i do know that um when i moved from place to place i maybe didn't like the old me i want a new me and i try uh, i like is sort of stuck with a sort of consistent jesse for a while now he doesn't lie very much in fact he he tries never to lie but yeah. the old jesse when he was a kid he lied about everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I think is where those disorders kind of come from. It's like an extreme form of that very natural thing that you do where you like recreate yourself, right? Or change yourself in different situations. Like, I hate going home because I don't like the person I used oh, to be there. Oh, yeah. So, You're I, that I person. Back out. <laughs> right? You're the person who, who did that. That's who you are. That's how we know you. Yeah. And, and even just like being in that environment, I go back to this old character and i'm like oh i don't really like that person that much <laughs> there's a uh there's a video you guys uh, probably have seen it i hope you have and if you haven't you should watch it um the lonely island you know this uh like group um adam sandberg you know who mm-hmm. i'm talking about um a- a- andy andy sandberg um he's a he was on saturday night live he, he's on that show yeah. um nine nine was it brooklyn nine nine um and it's a video about uh, how he's a boss, and he just says, "I'm a boss." And then he makes a list of all the things uh, that a boss does, right? And he he one of the things is he he tries to ask Deborah out on a date, who works in the office, and she rejects him, and so he shits on Deborah's desk. And then later <laughs> on, later on, as you do, as he's telling the story, right? It, it just gets more and more outrageous. Um, and at one point he says, um, masturbate in the closet or something and then cut your own dick off because <laughs> I'm a boss like a boss does. And then somebody said, wait, did you say cut your own dick off? And he says, nah, that ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this whole thing is a put on, right? How, you know, uh, uh, he's sort of satirizing the, the, the grandiosity of, of the rapper, aesthetic which is rapping about yourself right rapping about all the greatness that is you and then when uh when confronted by wait did you say you just killed 16 people nah (laughs) nah that ain't me (laughs) it's just so great because it 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 fits the no i'm too cool for that i would never do that instead of (laughs) reacting hard against it you react soft This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. All right.
I got a recording going. So, um, uh, I I haven't heard all your episodes, but you seem to mix, um, David. You seem to mix uh, interviews in with your your discussion shows. Yeah, we we um, what we're basically trying to do is we know like we can't do as good of a academic breakdown as Evan does. Uh, but what <laughs> we can we do that. Try to do is. <laughs> Um, the three hosts of Dickheads, Anthony, Larry, and I, we're, we're friends who, when we go to movies, we love to argue movies. When we get out, we usually disagree with each other a lot. Mm-hmm. And we end up talking a lot about narrative structure always, and because we're all three writers. And so what we really wanted to do with Dickheads was, um, Anthony had suggested the idea that we, that we all read all of Philip K. Dick's work. And we decided that from the beginning in order, and we thought, well, if we're going to do that, we might as well do a podcast about it. Yeah. And um, I think what comes across is that we kind of have kind of a fun banter between us all the time when we discuss art, movies, books. And so we're just trying a lot to explore the the narrative side of and the writer that Phil K. Dick kind of what. You, you you picked a, a massive task. Did you know how big his his uh, short story output and novel output was before you dove in? Well, we're Maybe, not yeah, looking at the short stories, are you? Yeah, we're not. Re- we're just re- focusing on novels, and then we're doing occasional short stories that match up with the movies. Aha! Uh-huh, I and see. We just did Human Is. We recorded Human Is yesterday, so this is my Electric Dreams weekend, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, we're focusing on the novels, and um, all of us had read Phil K. Dick to various levels before, but what's been really fun about it is none of us read the early work before. We had all read later works. So, you know, we're all huge fans of Three Stigmata, um, Man in the High Castle, the big, the big ones, and um, so this is, for, this is the first time we've read many of the first uh, five or six books. And like I and we're I just finished reading Time Out of Joint next episode and you know we're we're really having fun learning about the um, the uh, the writer Philip K. Dick you know and and I think that's kind of the difference of of what we do from some of the other podcasts. Mm-hmm. I like that you guys talk um, tons about the movies and stuff as well because I have no idea about that stuff or any of the actors you're talking about or the directors, but it's cool to like hear all the names and see all the links you guys make. Cause <laughs> it's like listening to people like, Oh, there's this whole other world of movies yeah. that I don't know about. Well, all three of us are film nerds and Anthony in fact does like an obscure movie podcast is one of his other projects. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so we all are really into, like, so once we get on tangents, I know at Minority Report we talked a lot about Spielberg and that one, and I think that's just the nature of who we are, and, uh, you know, the first, it's hilarious, the bad sci-fi movie is the first movie we all three saw as a group, we went to see Jupiter Ascending, and um, we discovered that we had this amazing ability to kind of talk about narrative structure in the way that we break down science fiction. And it just took us a long time to figure out the podcast that we wanted to do. And Philip K. Dick just became the one because we're all very influenced by Philip K. Dick as writers. Um, and our works 
our published works kind of reflect that a little bit. How's your um your your challenge to get on to iTunes with your being banned probably for your your podcast name? Yeah, apparently um, Apple thinks that we're doing a penis podcast. Mm. <laughs> uh, they oh, we have tried several times to appeal to them they'll even write us back and say we understand what your podcast is about but we still can't do it (laughs) do they so so we're working on uploading the stream as pkd heads Mm. Uh, and so i apologize to the listeners that it's harder to find our podcast uh, but we do put all the episodes up on youtube also and uh Larry's putting a lot more energy into having um, visuals that go along with the videos. So every time we mention a movie or a book, like the image comes up so people can have a reference for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm seeing the YouTube videos as the fir- are, are coming up first, and that's that's a probably pretty good for access. But I I had to find out how to add manually to the podcatcher I use. I don't use iTunes, but the, the, everyone uses the iTunes directory, so it's kind of crazy that it's not even that it's not even that weird of a or rude of a name. Yeah, I know, and believe me, I've um, talked to customer service at Apple many times, <laughs> and uh, I would hope they understand who Philip K. Dick is now after all the different customer service people i've talked to i mean i'm 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 looking for your podcast and my podcast i can't find it but i can find a podcast called dungeons and dickheads so (laughs) what the hell exactly and yeah i know um we'll 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 get it up there but i think um you know uh we're still early on this and since everything's not time sensitive because people can read along with us at their own pace um it's kind of fine if it takes us a little while to get up and running and get to where people can find us. Because anybody can always start with Solar Lottery and listen through with us. Just like I'm a little behind on Evan's podcast because I try not to listen to his episodes before we do ours mm-hmm. so to prejudice ours. So usually, like right after I finished Eye in the Sky, I went and listened to Evan's whole series on Eye in the Sky. And, and um, you know, uh, Although I had actually talked with Evan in the interview that we interviewed Evan for the for Dickheads, and you know if he'll keep coming back, we'll do we'll do an interview with Evan every five books. Uh, if he's speaking of Evan, can I just or, pause you for a second, Evan? There's some sort of issue with your microphone going crazy. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. it's yeah. like static, static internet connection. No, I don't think so. It doesn't sound oh, like an internet static? issue. Okay, um, keep talking. I don't know what to do. I think it fixed it. Yeah, but Maybe. now you're distant from the microphone. Uh, keep talking. Is it any better? I don't know. Keep talking. Okay. Tell keep us about talking. your new apartment. So, no, no, but the apartment's great. So I have a question. That's you, it's working great now. Okay, we're good. <laughs> But when yeah. you listen to my series on the sky, do you do you prefer the long series? I have some episodes like Doctor Blood Money is one like three hour episode. Oh, good. Is Ooh. it better to do like the little the where I break it up the novels? No, because with Three Stigmata, I'm going to break it up again. But yeah, I, don't know. I, like, I'm I like the I like the little episodes, and um, the one thing I would say is that um, 
the time. Um, like, I wouldn't recap every time because people are generally. Oh, I recap too much. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's why I stopped. That would be the that only suggestion I would make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't think the recaps are as necessary between episodes. But that would be the only um, suggestion I would. Or if make. I can get the recap down to like one or two sentences. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then, like, yeah. yeah. But um, what what was really cool about when we interviewed Evan is that um, it was really cool to see um, the kind of meeting of the dickheads with two very different geek perspectives coming together. And so I really enjoyed asking the academic questions and uh, kind of offsets what we do, which is a little bit more of like the writer narrative thing. And we also tell each other to shut the hell up and and um, uh, <laughs> argue with each other like, like friends, but walking out of a movie, which is the kind of thing that we're trying to go for with the heads, you know. I did notice that uh, there was one uh, memorable segment on your show. I'm not sure which uh, book it was you were talking about, but it was uh, how how it would be cast. Uh, sorry, yeah, directed. Who who would direct it, and and you know how how the different vibes of different film uh, directors would fit with different. Uh, PKD stories, and the thing is, is we've we've been watching this like, this mm-hmm. official Philip K. Dick uh, show, and I mm-hmm. just I I find it like they get it wrong every single time. They just never mm-hmm. never get it right. And oh, you even, mean on Electric, electric yeah, Dreams? Electric Dreams is like it, oh, we it, like it, human is actually, um, and I think. That, what we're trying to do with that is, is that we are film geeks and we do like watch a lot of films. So when we, for example, when we read Solar Lottery, we all had ideas on how we wanted mm. how, wait, this hasn't been a movie, but if we did a movie, like who would be good to do this? And I think that's one thing that's kind of unique that we can bring is we can bring that film experience. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 you know, one day I hope the right person is listening <laughs> <laughs> as, as we really need to do that um i mean i pretty much from the minute i finished reading time out of joint even though i know that it's kind of already been somewhat done with truman show um but not on the same level but you know i've been thinking so much about the about how i would adapt time out of joint who i would hire and all that and i think um it's funny because we have had a lot of feedback on those segments and um uh, I think people do really enjoy like thinking about them as movies. And there's also one of the things that's interesting about us too, is that we don't, I know a lot of people don't like some of the movie takes because of the liberties that they, they take with PKD. But for example, with total recall, we all love total recall because we like dumb eighties action movies. So we were fine with it, even though it wasn't entirely. How were you with the sequel or the remake? Um, not fans. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that I'm fine with sometimes with PKD being interpreted because I actually like when PKD's ideas get turned into action films. Like, I don't mind that um, because the novels are always still there. We can always still read them for what they are. And I actually like that style. And it's kind of funny when you see a movie that's very PKD movie. It's not PKD the novelist, but it's PKD that the translation to film inspired. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's cool good about him. Yeah. yeah, that's what's so cool about him. He's such him? an ideas nah. person. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that and that's partially because my first introduction to Philip K. Dick, myself, I mean, I had seen Blade Runner, but I didn't really know what it came from. But when I was a kid, the like, first thing that I really got into was Total Recall, right? And that's Total Recall is the reason why I went and sought out Philip K. Dick when I was a junior in high school when the movie was in theaters. And so I don't hate Total Recall. And I don't really, I actually didn't mind either of these Electric Dream episodes either. Um, they're not perfect. and um, But in some ways, we thought Human Is was an improvement over the story, which is probably going to be controversial. But you'll have to tune into Dickheads. Which was the Human Is one again? The, <laughs> not the that memorable. That one? Is that the one, the one with the last one? Yeah, set in the future? Yeah. That's the one yeah, set yeah, in the future? The, that's the Brian Cranston episode. Right. right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. I, I love Total Recall. I think Total Recall is a masterpiece. I think it improves greatly on the short story, which is, is terrific until you, you try and think of it as a film. Because the ending is a guy sitting on a park bench waiting for, to be arrested. And uh, there's uh, the whole Martian spy thing is is one line in the story, and it's expanded masterfully, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a great introduction to Philip K. Dick. Even yeah. if Schwarzenegger is not your typical... I mean, what typical they did with his name, right? His name is Quail in the story, and he's Quaid, because you can't be a quailing, uh, uh, you know, shaking little boy like we have in, in the story we read for today. Uh, yeah, well, and one of the things everyone has to remember with Total Recall is that it was originally developed and co-written by Dan O'Bannon, who's mostly known as being one of the creators of Alien. Mm -hmm. But the thing with Dan O'Bannon is that Dan O'Bannon was a... He also wrote Screamers, and he developed Second Variety and Total Recall together while Dick was still alive. And um, both of those... I, I mean, Total Recall goes back to the point where, uh, you know, PKD had seen copies of O'Bannon's scripts for both. And in fact, I know he... he there is quotes out there that he liked the the uh, script for Second Variety quite a bit. Um, the one that was going around in the 70s. And O'Bannon himself was just a huge believer in PKD. And I think that eventually we're, we want to do an episode. We've reached out to Dan O'Bannon's wife. He has passed away. Uh, but we eventually want to do a whole episode about Dan O'Bannon because we believe that Dan O'Bannon has a, is a huge part of why the Philip K. Dick renaissance kind of happened. Not just because of Total Recall, but because he was the one he was shopping Total Recall and Second Variety before Blade Runner like was fully in production, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think Dan O'Bannon more than anybody put Philip K. Dick on Hollywood's map, and mm. you know he's very important. There have been two Screamers sequels, so it can't it can't have done terribly. Um, in the minds of everyone, but more importantly, I think it's a really good film, and uh, and um, it's it's got some issues, but it, it's not as epic as uh, as Total Recall, but it has um, it has Robocop, so yeah, <laughs> you can't go wrong there. It also has an absolutely terrible ending, and we did an episode of Dickheads on Screamers and Second Variety, and and we, you know, the movie's okay. Uh, it's like straight from the story. Uh, it's straight from the story, right? It, it is, but... And I will say that um, 
to me at this point of all the Philip K. Dick short stories that I've read, Second Variety just hit all my notes. It's, it's like yeah. I think think Second Variety is is absolutely one of his best. And um, I do think it's interesting that it's being developed into a TV series by Channel Four. Oh. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're hoping to do a whole like ongoing series based on Second Variety, and that should be interesting. I I'm not against the idea. I think Channel Four Beyond they started Black Mirror. They also had that show Humans, and if you haven't seen Humans, it's very PKD. Yeah, that's good too. I think that my only thing with those shows so far that I don't think works so well with PKD stories is like they take themselves a little bit too seriously and his stories are so funny. And that's yes. why the, the movies and Total Recall and stuff are so good. Cause you give this, it's like surreal and it's kind of funny, but these electric yeah. dreams ones are like, they're trying to make it into a drama and take it really seriously. And it's like, Oh, there's something missing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why I, I think, like, oh. that's why yeah. I think the, um, what's the Tom Cruise one? Uh, minority Report. Right. Minority Report. Everyone thinks, uh, you know, when they, they talk about the future, you know, whenever somebody's doing a, a future science fiction sort of thing on, you know, documentary about whatever, they always have him manipulating the things on the screen with no keyboard. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't care about any of that stuff. I, I, I think that the action sequences, yeah, they're well done. But in hidden behind all the action sequence is the idea of just, you know, how about this? Uh, being convicted of a crime before you've done it—that is something that is this constant horror that's behind Philip K. Dick's ideas. It's so cool. That's why I love. I think that's what everybody loves about his stuff. Deep down, underneath everything, there's some idea that he's he's working out. And so we just did a show on Human Is, and we're doing a show today on um, on. Uh, Another Father. story. Another thing. Yeah, another. Father but thing. but it's another story where a part of the family's replaced, right? Well, well, right. And it's and, a complete opposite take. Yeah, and and PKD very specifically said that he was inspired by his absent father to write Father Thing because he said um, that his father would disappear for years at a time wouldn't see him and he'd come back and he, he felt like he didn't know him and I think you know so I think father thing may seem like kind of a goofy little pulpy horror story which it is but at the same time it has that it, it's so much about his relationship with his father but it's the same if you think about like he's not actually a father in the in the human is right they're childless but he even managed to work in a surrogate child right the the nephew who comes in mm-hmm. in the st- original story and just seeing it from the wife's point of view, right? It's like, it's like the father thing is this is the retelling of human is from the wife's point of view. So what, what we never see at the end of this story, you know, with the matches is the, the, the kid going back in the house and saying, yeah, I just killed dad. And the <laughs> wife, like, I mean, the, one of the things that really, I didn't like about the, the adaptation is that there was almost no sense of unreliability in in the child's point of view, uh, Charles's right. point of view, 
Yeah, that, that's my main thing with this. I, I felt the same thing. I, I already did my episode on the father thing, the story, a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I heard it. It's like the, yeah, very the killing of, with the BB gun that's so just preposterous that it, it's got to be in the kid's imagination. Or at least I think that's, that door is open, that they're just playing. Yeah, they are playing, I mean, I, clearly. At least in one, how one way of looking story. at it. And that they're just playing. And then we get this well, hashtag at the end, resist. Yeah. Like, is this a metaphor for <laughs> Trump or something? Like, I don't get it. Is that because if it is, I don't see the connection. Um, do, you, do you guys um, notice at the beginning and the ending of that video? I guess he's Facebooking or something. It's YouTube or mm-hmm. he's there's like glitches in the film. Like. Like, is that supposed to be, like, yeah, he's actually that. an alien or something? Like, I, I don't understand why there would be... Uh, I mean, people do have microphone and camera problems, but not like that, right? <laughs> well, you know what's interesting, too, is what, since we're talking about the ending of the story, is that there is a lot of information about how the ending of the story came together because mm-hmm. there's a series of, of letters that, um, that Philip K. Dick had written... Um, with the subsequent drafts, there were three versions of the father thing that were submitted over a couple weeks before it was finally accepted by mm-hmm. Tony um, Boucher, who is also his editor at Ace. And what's funny is if you look at these endings, it's like he's definitely trying to work through like what he's going to do. And some and one letter is like four days apart from the other one. And so he was clearly um, messing with it. And there's a version that says that he cut out four pages to get down to the final version. Wow. Which is it was really interesting. And, and you, the fact that we have copies of the letters that PKD sent, I'm assuming he got phone calls probably back saying like, hey, can you do this? And then he'd send the letters with. And like the last one, it says... I hope I won't foul everything up, but here's another ending for the father thing. A shorter version knocks off four pages, eliminates considerable material, and the ending is more powerful, I think. In connecting close, what you have is pages are pages 12 through 18 with 1 through 11 in the second version. This third version makes use of new pages that precede 12. What a mess. Okay, I hope this works now. So do we have any idea what was in them, in the alternative endings? No, no. I mean, he. It it sounded like Anthony Boucher tightened it up. It is better, right? He he said your ending sucks because you cut it off too soon and the kids betray him, right? The neighborhood kids betray him, and so that that the the idea that they keep continuing with with the cosplay or you know the imaginative play that the fought like. Like I know a kid who's great at finding things, right? That that whole sequence is terrific, and and mm-hmm. continuing that is so that it continues past the point where we would normally say, wait, now kids, you shouldn't shoot adults uh, who are trying to correct their children. You know, I'm noticing the adaptation; they took the gun away, right? And they have some sort of Rube Goldberg <laughs> system to what put a I don't know. Uh, pitchfork through the guy's head. <laughs> it's like that's mm-hmm. better. Clearly, this episode was important. The director, the writer, director Michael Dinner. Dinner. Yeah. Yeah. He um, 
he came with Brian Cranston from they did a show called Sneaky Pete on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So they obviously kind of cracked the show together. And he's one of the main executive producers. He did a bunch of shows like Justified and uh, whatever. But his first it's funny. His first credit as a director is Hot to Trot, which is like a talking horse movie with Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's who we're dealing with here. But I think he did actually a pretty no, good job of getting the cast is great. Greg Kinnear is a very respected actor. And um, Mirella uh, uh, Enos, I think is her name. She's from The Killing. She's a great actor who plays uh, Mother Thing, um, you know. And I think I, I I understand why people would not like how it's changed, but I think that there are good pieces to it. But what I find interesting is that he's a main producer of the show, and this is the one that he chose to do. That Father Thing was important to him. Hmm. Uh, it's one of the first stories of uh, PKD I read, and uh, I found it to be. Uh, very unrepresentative of mm -hmm. PKD's normal stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has a lot to do with uh, Anthony Boucher. Anthony Boucher was mostly editor of FNSF, which is the sort of the premier science fiction magazine for literary writing, right? As opposed to uh, sort of analog, astounding... Um, I don't know, big dumb object, more style, right? So if you were going to write, if you wanted to be considered for a Hugo, more likely you go for the FNSF. And it sort of had higher standards for writing. You know, a lot of their reprints are uh, classic, classic authors. And uh, there's a lot of great writing in FNSF. And it, he didn't get into FNSF almost at all. One one of the notes, I, uh, I, I don't know, you guys probably aren't going to cover it, David, but... Um, he also mentions in one of the letters the two series stories that he he uh, mentions, the Doc Labyrinth stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Those yeah, are okay. like one of the, I think, the only other two stories other than Ruig, which is his first story ever uh, published, ever submitted to, and Boucher is sort of his, um, that's his first story, the one about a barking dog. Um the Doc Labyrinth stories are not very representative of PKD. They're they're more humor based. They're a series, and they're good stories. But I don't think they represent most of what he's doing. So I think he's like writing in a style that's not really his, uh, or at least doesn't really develop into his. And yet the themes are there. The uh, there's almost no science fiction writer who writes about children as much as PKD. Yeah, and also well, his theme with the, um, like this is basically like a biological replicant kind of thing, like the the, pe the people aren't human theme right. that comes out later with the androids. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm um, sorry, guys, I'm going to have to run here in a minute, but I just wanted to say, too, that Father Thing is also one of the most collected. Oh, yeah. Um, TKD works. I think Second Variety definitely hands down wins for most collected short story, but it's definitely gotten out there a bunch, and and I think it is an important story. And keep in mind, I think one of the most important things to remember. I'm sorry, Loudcat. Um, <laughs> I think one of the most important things to remember about Father Thing is that it was written and released one year before the novel that Invasion of the Body Snatchers is based mm -hmm. on. 
because a lot of times people will say, oh, this is kind of an invasion of body snatchers ripoff. No. <laughs> it definitely came before it. So, hmm. yeah, and I apologize again to, and to the listeners that I couldn't, I, I, I accidentally thought we were at 8 p.m., not 8 a.m., so uh, I double booked myself. But um, I really love SFF Audio, and I'm really uh, happy to be here. I hope people check out Dickheads. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Cool. Yeah, sorry. Right. No worries. <laughs> Alright, um let's uh uh do a, a show, shall we? Yes. Sure. Yeah, what's that noise? <laughs> it sounded like a foghorn. Uh okay. Yeah. Uh, your mic's way better now, Evan. I don't know what the oh, issue is, so I'm don't move your head. Glad don't, for that. don't don't uh dance it any different.